and I don't know who it was, but some naked guy just goes sliding across the floor, just squealing like a little girl. All <laughs> See how far up. we could slide See through the tile corridor. See how far we could slide around in the tile. Welcome to the first ever Acrobus Leather Efficient by Design podcast. We are in the corner of our storefront. Um, so our production shop is on the other side of this wall right here. And so we've got Riveter and sewing machine that we're trying to not use while we're doing this. So if there's some, uh, some racket and sound, our apologies, but you're in the actual shop here. Um, with me today, I have my brother Brad and my good friend Dustin. Um, and we're going to start this first episode off by um, kind of doing a bit of a history of my building background and a bit of childhood between Brad and I and Dustin and I as we started working together uh, back in 2005. No, 2000. 2000. Hmm. I was wondering yeah. if it was like 90s. I think we met in the 90s. Yeah. We, we met in 1999. Yeah. And we made it through Y2K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. forgot all about that. Yeah. yeah. In Edmonton? Well, at Thetis Island. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Um, so this podcast is going to be one where we talk through uh, a whole bunch of kind of trades-related topics with a variety of guests that we'll end up having. Um, so stuff from building practices and safety um, to mental health and physical health and tools and tool belts. Off and on as well. So to go back to the beginning, um, I guess in regards to how I became a tradesman, mm -hmm. um, that started back in, uh, I would say in in Headley, in, in BC here. So we're in in BC, Canada, and Headley is a town of what are people then three hundred and fifty? I think so. Yeah. Yep, yeah. So it's a very 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 small little place. Um, so I, there was like, you know, one other kid, a farm kid, Brad Williams mm -hmm. that lived somewhat nearby, but for the most part, we spent our childhood, um, playing in the mountains and we lived at the, we lived in a trailer at the base of, um, the ruins of the mine. There's a gold mine in Headley. Mm -hmm. Back, when was that? Uh, I mean, it was, I think probably like late 18, early 19, and then it shut down. Yeah. And then I think they started it up again. And then eventually just yeah. all, you know. What's it called? Because it's pretty spectacular. Mascot? Yes. Yeah. Is it Mascot Mine? Yeah. Well, that's the, maybe the new one on top of the mountain. I'm not sure what the one down in I'm not sure. town was. But but I mean, just like the contents of Headley, it is like your classic hole in the world type of little town. Nobody knows it. You blink, it's gone. There's a little creek that runs through it and it's full of like expats, strange musician artist yeah. type of people um and for those that have lived there it's like such an awesome place to live but at the same time if 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 someone went there now they're like how could you ever grow up in a place like this yeah, or have a livelihood there yeah yeah no cops there was a yeah. there used to be a gas station at down at the road yeah um and like you said you blink you drove by it like there's a little town tucked in behind the gas station yeah and then where we lived was right on the base of the mountain in a trailer at the base of the ruins of the mine. Mm -hmm. So as kids, we, uh, back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, um, that was our playground. We played yeah. in the ruins of the mine. 
which now I go back and I drive by there. It's all gated and fenced off and no trespassing signs. And I'm like, what parent would let their kids play <laughs> in their climate? Super industry? sketchy. Yeah. Like playing in mine shafts and rotten things and rusty stuff everywhere and just like super sketchy. But again, that was, that was like oh, was so fun. So fun. And you, you had a uh, celebrity run in. In That's right. <laughs> yeah. So we had, we had, uh, when would that have been? I'd been like mid eighties, mid to late eighties. Um, Burt Reynolds shot a movie called Malone and they actually had to put camouflage netting over top of our trailer because there was in the background <laughs> of the shooting. And so yeah, as a little kid, I remember sitting down one of the evenings, they were doing some shooting and I was sitting on the gas pumps from this little like full gas station they'd created and sat and watched Burt Reynolds taking some shots, eating popcorn, watching him take some shots under this car. And then he came and sat with me and ate some of my popcorn. We had a little visit. Yeah. <laughs> super, super random. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we lived there, played in the mountains, in the ruins of the mine. And then we moved to the other side of town mm-hmm. um, to the, hop of, the top of Hospital Hill. And again, right in the very outskirts of town. And there was an old junk collector that owned the property behind our house in Paul, right? Yeah. Yeah, I want to say a junk collector just because I love junk, (laughs) but we always called it junk, but now I'd probably be all over that stuff. Old windows, car doors, just any, any scrap metal. He just collected it all. All kinds of scrap. Yeah. It was like probably a pile of what, a hundred single pane windows leaned against a tree. Again, stacks of car doors, like bizarre, weird stuff. And amongst all these piles of random stuff was like all scrap lumber Buckets of bent, rusty nails, yeah. just all kinds of scrap building materials. Again, treasure for two kids oh. that like back up onto a mountain, right? It's just, and there's those little skink lizards all over the place, yeah. you know? So we're just like hunting lizards, little building materials for forts, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that was where, you know, again, not having any of the kids around, just you and I and spending time and got permission actually from Paul and I don't know how that ever happened where we kind of got permission to like, we can use these buckets of nails and this old scrap building material and, and uh, started building forts. Yeah. So that was like, you know, going into, into our dad's shop and, you know, my dad had like the classic, classic shop of that era where it was like a, it was a pegboard behind his workbench. Mm-hmm. We had all of his tools on the wall behind the workbench and he had felt outlines <laughs> around them all. And he used to take me down there and quiz me on all the, all the hand tools. And so he'd actually go through, like asking me what all this different stuff was. And, um, and so yeah, I'd get to use all that stuff. We'd pull hammers and saws out and hand, no, we'd no electric, no mm-hmm. power tools whatsoever. So we'd then take those tools and saws and go off to Paul's junk piles and yeah. cut, <laughs> cut lumber and straighten nails and start building stuff. Yeah. I mean, and to be, to be candid too, you, you did that stuff for the most part. I was kind of the, Luke and I are three years different. And I know I said it. You said it. <laughs> I always say two years and 10 months. Uh, whenever we were kids and how old, how much older Luke would say three years. I'm like, no, two years, two years and 10 months. And, but as of, as of aged, I've become more okay with it. But anyway, so I'm obviously three years younger. So like I would just follow Luke to wherever he would go. And so, you know, I would often, Sometimes I'd be the, the guy straightening out the nails as he's building something, or I'd just be sitting there asking questions or being annoying and while he was building stuff. And so it, we'd build some fort, we'd build this one sweet fort. And I think maybe I, maybe I helped bend some nails, but that was my ticket to be like, yeah, Luke and me built this fort. Sweet. I helped him build it. Yeah. 
but yeah, and I, that one I still have like such clear memories of building that mm -hmm. and uh, the sliding window yeah. that you made, which was yeah. just groundbreaking. Yeah, we were so stoked on that. <laughs> but then again, I was like talking to dad. I'm like, I want to build a floor. I want to kind of do it properly. So like, how do you how do you build a floor? And as like an eight year old, you know, dad telling me like, well, there's floor joists, and then there's like you got to sheet it or put you know some kind of decking on it. And uh, okay, that seems like it makes sense. So it's just all, you know, taking your best stab at it, but building kind of what I look at now, kind of, you know, rim joists on the outside and nailing joists in. And then I think it was a bunch of old shiplap that was uh, kicking our TNG siding. Mm -hmm. It was stacks of that we yeah, that sheeted the floor with. TNG, I think you're right. I remember yeah. that, thinking how cool it was that this one profile fit into another yeah. one. Yeah. 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 So we did two floors and then built a deck and a railing. And we carpeted it with moss. Yeah. I remember. And then the sliding window was two pieces of groove TNG yeah. that were facing each other with a piece of panel that slid in between there. And then we built a shed roof and there were some old shingles and we shingled the roof and and then we built <laughs> zip lines. Mm -hmm. You remember? The yeah. Out of the uh the clothes hanger stuff. The Which I'm sure everybody listening to this has done that at one time. Like who didn't uh, build a zip line with the little wheel and this and the zip line cord? Yeah. Or sorry, the, the clothesline cord, cord covered in that crappy sun-dried plastic. Yeah, that, that was, blue plastic. Yeah. And it would <laughs> we'd go flying down these dumb lines we'd make and it would break. Yeah. And you would fall into the rocks. Oh man. Yeah. It was it was super fun, super dangerous, and yeah, lots of minor injuries, fortunately. Nothing yeah. serious. But yeah, that was kind of like the first stuff I remember actually building mm -hmm. and I, I just had such a love for being outside working with wood building things and uh was definitely definitely hooked on that right away yeah super super i mean fun. lego was obviously that was a, yeah. such a huge pastime too and luke would build all kinds of cool things and never from the little booklets or anything like that just you know you'd come downstairs and he's built some crazy thing this comes off this thing does this and then it goes underneath there and then it flies over there and i was I won a Lego competition. He actually did. He won a Lego contest. It was in the, wasn't it in the newspaper and everything like that. You got first yeah. first place. And the yeah. reason why he won was exactly that. All these other kids had like kind of like the sets. the sets and everything they you know. And and was it timed? You had a certain amount of time yeah. that you had to finish within. Yeah. But it had to be all disassembled, and then you came with this, you know, bucket of all disassembled stuff, and yeah. with no map, no nothing. He was able to recreate this wicked spaceship out of nothing. And I think people were just like, what the? Yeah. yeah. Now, now that sounds pretty, pretty epic. But consider I lived in a town of 350 people and mm -hmm. we went to Karameas for this, which has how many people there? I honestly, I don't know. A few thousand. A few thousand. So there might have been like eight kids in this competition from this country yeah. bumpkin neighborhood. That's true. And it was in the newspaper of like Headley. That's true. So, <laughs> so, it, so not, it that, pretty not, that, not that special, actually. No. No. special for there. Oh, yeah. Contextual. Yeah. Yeah. He was a big deal. Yeah. He was the Lego wonderkind. Yeah. Yeah. So th there's kind of like the you know, the childhood experience of building stuff. And then uh, my folks, our family, we moved out to the Gulf Islands out on the west coast of Canada. Um, that was in early 90s, mm -hmm. 92 or something. Yep. Um, moved out to a little island, Thetis Island, which has how many people? I think it was similar to like 300, similar to Headley, but in the summertime, it would explode to like, I want to say over a thousand because so many people had summer homes and stuff like that there. Yeah. But and most no, of the year is like, yeah, 300 people. And no town. No town. There was a couple marinas, no gas station, no uh, grocery store. 
And I want to say the island was about five miles square, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that what they always said? Yeah, it was small. I mean, you could, the road across it was super windy and it took what, 20 minutes to drive across yeah. it? Yeah. Like that? Beautiful though. If anyone's yeah. been to the Gulf Islands, like gorgeous. Dustin spent a, how much time on Pender? Five years. Five years on Pender, which is just another few islands over. Gorgeous place. Yeah. Yeah, we were, were there. I went through my high school years there, as did you. And uh, similar kind of atmosphere in the sense that there's, you know, very few people around. And we spent tons of our time, again, build forts, playing outside. Um, our dad was, is uh, big into outdoors. We did all kinds of camping and hiking and backpacking and motorcycle camping, all that sort of thing. And uh, he taught mountaineering as well. So I got into that, you know, in Headley and then later more at, uh, at Thetis. So we had climbing towers and low, low element initiative courses and, and a lot of stuff with the camps that they worked at. Um, and he had a whole waterfront and all that stuff. So it was a, a really fun place to be for what you had access to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. So it kind of went from the mountains, you know, chasing after you know, all the, all the lizards and stuff to like ocean. Now we're flipping rocks, finding crabs and fish and that whole life of the ocean just opened up this whole new, new thing, which was so, so fun. Yeah. yeah. Incredible exploration Yeah, for kids that came from, like you say, though, that kind of yeah. history of exploration and, and that to have the ocean to play with. And those first yeah. couple of years, yeah. yeah, that's, we spent all of our time yeah. down on the beach at low tide fighting yeah. animals and catching fish. And, yeah. And you were usually the, you were the one who like, you pushed a little bit into sailing and getting on the catamaran thing. Is that what they yep. are with the net between yep. the things? Yep. Um, and then you got into the windsurfing there a little bit. And, and then even getting into the point where he was taking the windsurf, the windsurfing thing and then attaching it to his skateboard. He built some contraption that attached to his <laughs> skateboard so we could put the windsurfer in there. And then he was, he, there was a one paved road right along the ocean where all the wind was. Yep. And all of a sudden you'd see Luke just ripping around on his skateboard with the, <laughs> with the windsurf. It was really sweet. That redneck ingenuity. Yeah. yeah. Super fun. Um, yeah. And then through like this, my school years there, um, you know, the stuff that I was into, I did, I played sports and did music stuff, but was really, really keen on, um, on the woodwork classes and drafting and, uh, anything to do with working with my hands. I just loved that stuff. So Again, it was a small community. We took a ferry to school. There was no no school. Well, there was a one-room schoolhouse up to grade three on mm-hmm. Thetis Island. Yeah, I went there for one year, and then after that, it was on the yeah. ferry every day. Then that we was took our a, bus. Yeah, so we yeah. took a anywhere from, what was it, 28 minutes to 38 minutes, depending if it made the other stop. Yeah. There was a three-island. There was two little Gulf Islands and then Vancouver Island. So we'd go across to Vancouver Island to Shemanus, which is where we went to did uh, yeah. Midland High School. Um, so that's a little bigger community that would be similar to probably Summerland. Probably. probably. Yeah. yeah. Around yeah. 12,000 people like right there or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we took a, a, a ferry to school back and forth. That was our school bus, which was awesome because it was, had the benefit over a school bus that you can get up and walk around. So we, we played hacky sack all the time and we played pop can soccer. Yes. Tons of pop can soccer. <laughs> And that was so, so fun. We'd take a pop can, crush it down. And then on the ferry, there was these big steel kind of guardrails. And so the goal was to try to kick it underneath. The, there's about that much space you could fly. A, and, and I think the deal was because we, we lost countless hacky sacks. And those were like a rare commodity at the time. And, but they made them good back then. Yeah. Like they were legit nice hacky sacks. You could get at 49th parallel. Yeah. 
we buy him there. But again, if you kick someone else's hacky sack over, like it was like you buy him a new hacky sack. And so, yep. yeah, we were. I remember Steve Bacon was a, you know, a good yep. friend of mine on the island. And we started hacky sack with him and he had a crocheted one. Okay. Was the first one that our group of friends had. Yep. And we were all terrible at it at first. And the day that got booted over, it was super tragic. Yeah. You know, we were still like, you know, middle school kind of kids. Like it, we, he was really upset. Yeah. And it was like, our hacky sack is gone. And yeah. it was still a, a new, seems to me like it was a new thing then to play hacky sack. Well, my, the dad played. Yeah. He was, was like, like one picture of dad doing that lame, <laughs> sweet, sorry, dad. <laughs> so anyway, it was like our intro to it. And then yeah, that, when that one got lost, it was like a big deal. And then within, you know, six months, it was like, yeah. oh, this is commonplace. They yeah. get booted over the ferry all the time. And then, yeah, the, the pop can soccer, um, you know, the, the one other island that we went to was a, a native reserve. Um, and those kids were incredible. Oh, they were incredible. Amazing at, soccer. Yeah, players. Such good soccer players. Like the, the native kids were inc- like, and they would kick so hard. And if you were wearing shorts, like I am, you get a, like a sharp squash pop can cut right across your, your shin. And yeah. Yeah. And it was but, at the front of the ferry where it funneled together to you know, guide the, what, the four lanes. It was like, that ferry was a barge. Open barge with seating on one side and then like the wheelhouse on the other side and like three or four lanes, depending on the time of year, what ferry mm-hmm. we had. And then where it tapered closed at the front was those yellow steel pipes where they're like what, two inches off the, the deck. Yep. And then there was little verticals that was welded to. So it was like a, a eight foot by two inch slot yep. to boot the can under. Yep. And again, when I say hacky sack, like it sounds lame, but like we were really good. We got good. Like, like, like. I, you and you and Steve, Steve Bacon, he was he was super good. He had a real interesting. He would his hands would always twist out whenever he'd play hacky sack. But he was he was legit. Yeah. But you guys got like super good, and we're doing like coming up with all these moves, the gestures. I mean, now when you look at YouTube, I guess we would look like morons. But at the time, we would have such long hacky sack thing that until somebody goes to like launch for it and then boom over the edge yeah. and and we then we'd lose it. And sometimes the ferry, we wouldn't have to go to school because the sea would get too rough. Big windstorm would come up there. And so there's a couple of sketchy ferry rides where the mm-hmm. waves would smash into the side of the ferry and then they'd come right over and then just soak all the cars. Yep. You know, it's kind of fun for us because we're in the little, at that time we'd be in there playing cards. We played tons of cards, tons of cheat, all the different whatever. And we would take yep. a roof panel down. Remember that? One of the T-bar ceiling panels. Yeah, we'd yep. take the T-bar ceiling, flip it upside down, and then you'd put it on your lap on, onto the other people <laughs> on the other side. Yeah. And you'd play every day. That's That was like hacky well, the- sack and cards and knuckles. Oh, that's right. We played tons the, of knuckles. The seating in there was two benches facing each other down like a long corridor. Yep. Like that was the seating on the ferry. So you'd sit across each other and you'd put, yeah, the roof tile on your knees and you'd play, we'd play Danish and hearts and yep. all these games. And then, yeah, you got into knuckles. So yep. as kids, Brad and I played lots of music. So I, I played primarily bass and guitar and picked up a little bit of drums. Brad was primarily a drummer and has since picked up guitar and piano and different things. But Brad as a drummer... Maybe that, I don't know if that was really Probably. the reality of it, but super fast hands and like knuckles, most of you are probably aware, you know, you go basically fist to fist and you've got to smash the guy on top of the hand. As soon as you miss, you know, you train, train, yeah. uh, take turns and the other person now has to try and hit you till they miss. And you bloodied up so many, mm-hmm. so many guys' hands yeah, and you, you became the person not to play. Yeah. Well, between me and Silas, Silas was the other <laughs> right. guy and he was a few years older and he he was fast because he was a drummer as well. That's right. And him That's and right. I would go until we had 
like these so swollen. The top of her hands were just like, I bet you they went up a good half an inch of just, and so at first when you hit, it's a solid like, like almost bone on bone crack. After 20 minutes of playing on the ferry and it's just all gone soft, it's like this, like you're hitting a marshmallow. It's like, and like, yeah. oh, it was disgusting. And then if it broke open, yeah, yeah, then you're... And Silas was like three years older than you. Mm -hmm. He's a... Yeah, and then him and Dave Hunter was the other, other guy. Yeah. And I would destroy him, and, but he was like... <laughs> or, and I would be just killing him. But if he hit you once, game over. Done. Like, so I could hit him a good deal of time, but he was super tough. And then if he hit you, though, like, I'm like, no, I don't want any part of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's kind of like the childhood era and uh, my working um my summers like I, I started working for a local builder mm -hmm. that was for for michelle after doing like other summer jobs and mowing lawns all that typical stuff as a kid but then i started working as a as a laborer for a local bu local builder on the island uh for michelle was his name and uh yeah, french guy poirier or something yeah michelle yeah. poirier and had a custom home building uh business on the island and they did start to finish custom homes and so i did everything from oh i remember sanding like crazy doing tile work he did a, a house where he had uh built in had engineering built into it to hurricane protection and for some reason one of my jobs was manually driving in gang nail plates into two by eight uh posts this weird hurricane mm -hmm. protection and i was having a sledgehammer and a, a great big like tamping tool and trying to pound in these stupid gang nail plates by hand um mm -hmm. so a, a variety of jobs with him um, doing all kinds of stuff. And he was, he could get angry. Mm -hmm. he, he could lose his, lose his stuff at times. And there yeah. was, I remember that was one of the, the first times I saw a grown man throw a tantrum. Um, and it was a house that we'd built and we were uh, at the point of basically at lockup. I think they must have done most of the framing and work over the winter. And they were in, it was in the spring now, we're, we're pouring the basement slab. And uh, so again, we're doing all the work ourselves. So I remember being on a on a wheelbarrow and and uh, helping move concrete around. And we were just finishing off. And he had a power trowel that he was going to do his final passes on the slab. And uh, there's maybe five guys on the crew. And so he was working his way around the, the basement, just about finished. And he was working his way out one of the doors. And he caught the frame of the power trowel on a wall or a piece of concrete. Something caught mm -hmm. it. And it kicked up on its edge. And the blades dug in and threw chunks of concrete all over the basement <laughs> and he went he went nuts yeah so the one of the other one of the supervisors quickly made eyes with all of us employees like everyone out right now because michelle now is throwing tools kicking holes and stuff he's just livid and all kinds of french um but you didn't of. work with him brett no no i never never worked with him i mean again i didn't get into building i could care less about you know I remember Luke talking about t tools and um, he's got this kind of hammer and this kind of, and I'm like, you're such a loser. Yeah. But um, I, I was, you know, into, I don't know, all the other stuff, but it Not wasn't until later working. on that I realized, oh, this is a legit skill and these tools are actually wicked awesome. And so, yeah. Because during those, during those years too, you, you were far more social. Yep. And I was somewhat more reclusive and, mm -hmm. and uh, kept to myself a bit more. I mean, you were into the sports and all the stuff yep. there too, but you also, in school, you got into the drafting and then into the fine woodworking stuff. And then, yeah. but even at a, that early age, um, I, I think I realized and knew that 
okay, this isn't normal. The stuff that you're producing, like the chair, that stool thing that you made and all this like laminated stuff and making. When did you make the stool? Yeah. Uh, I think that was my grade 12, grade 12 year. Yeah. Um, you have to bring that in at some point. We'll yeah. go over it. But yeah, no, I, that was a, a pretty substantial project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always, I mean, I, I was super keen on it. So I, I remember getting projects done early and then I loved making stuff on the lathe yeah. and doing other extra projects and, and staying late. Like I, I love that. And my, my woodshop teacher, Mr. Gabrant, yeah, he was a, a, absolutely a huge influence on kind of my development as a tradesman because he ran his courses. He taught drafting and woodwork and he ran his classes like an apprenticeship. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was fantastic. Like nowadays when I see, you know, my kids, other kids going through woodshop and how it's kind of taught you know, they come out with the same cookie cutter little projects, you know, little bubblegum dispenser thing and and some funny little boxes and different pieces. And it's a course you go in, you guaranteed to pass, kind of goof around, it's fun. Whereas like Mr. Gabrant, it was like, no, you you come mm-hmm. here and you do this properly or you fail a class. Like it was it was run the way I think it would it should have been run. Yeah. That was um, the lame part uh, coming up a couple of years behind you. Is you know then I'm in Mr. Gerbrand's class and I think he has some of these same expectations and he realizes I'm like <laughs> so bad at it, have no interest in it, you know. And then I work for you know Bob um, later on, you know, mm-hmm. and he knew you as this like great carpenter, blah blah blah. And oh, I'm gonna hire his brother; he's probably the same thing. And he had to teach me how to use a drill and how to hold screws and you know because at the time I'm on hands and knees with screws everywhere, just picking one up, doing this floor. And I think the day after he was like, "It's not working." That was my first construction job. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm just trying to think now beyond that, like I, I oh, finished. Oh, the skateboard ramp too. Oh yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. Uh, that was another wicked project that you made mm-hmm. too, figuring out the the slope and the curvature and the tabletop and all the, the like, yep. so cool. And just, it all came the apart. The same skateboard ramp that he fell off and smashed yes. his face. Yep. yep. Were you there? Was that the year you were there? Just before. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember seeing the pictures of him like a mummy. Yes. And than the hamburger mm-hmm. yeah so all of that to say basically i for i think it's grade 11 i designed a, a a bike ramp so it had like a, a radius kicker on it a flat a flat tabletop that was maybe like six feet long and four feet wide then a sloped landing down the other side and the thing was like four feet high uh, so i did you know do the radius stuff and roll plywood into it and and for the most part we used it skateboarding and used mm-hmm. it as a little quarter pipe yep. which is really fun did you have coping at the top or was it just wood I thought uh, there was, there was, I think there was a coping yeah. at the top I yeah. built into it. Um, but basically I had, I had at one point got on a mountain bike and ended up going off the edge of it and landed on my face on the top of our retaining wall. So we had like our driveway, there was a retaining wall and the, the retaining wall was built out of rock. And I landed on the left side of my face with my feet of my like head first, right on the left side of my face and made a mess and you weren't jumping like i think you had jumped it several times but then this one time you kind of came up and then you just kind of stopped at the top of it right on the thing but you didn't want to put your foot down you were gonna you know and so you did one of these little weird little adjustment a little adjustment and then the front tire went off and your hand stayed on the handlebars and so the first thing that came into contact with the ground was your face yeah so the front wheel went off and it pulled me down over the side yeah and i yeah knocked me unconscious yeah yeah i had like I don't know, an inch and a half size hole down to my skull up in my forehead. So I still yeah. got scars up here from it and compressed, compressed vertebrae and like torqued my neck really bad. And yeah, yeah it was. I know I went in screaming 
when I went there and just saw like a hamburger mess, unconscious, never seen anything like that in my life, ran into the house. And I remember saying 911, what's the number? What, how, what's 911? What's the number? And I remember, and finally I was, <laughs> oh yeah, 911. And called and I came back out after about a minute or minute and a half. And then just by then you would kind of opened your eyes and yeah, and you were. Yeah, I remember coming to and then feeling just like mush on my face. <laughs> and a mom came, come out cause she was over at the, at the lodge there. She came over and I remember you actually saying to her, mom, okay. it's okay. I'm okay. And yeah. I think the most scared I got was in the ambulance when I'm going across on the ferry and I was kind of out of it, but they had an oxygen mask on me, which was kind of cockeyed. My, I was looking through some of the plastic mm. and I wasn't really aware, but my vision out of my left eye was all warped. So I'm like, is my, my left eye okay? Is it hanging out, out of my head? Because <laughs> I was all torn up yeah. all around here. And then they straightened it out. Hold on. Yeah. Fine. Was, how close was it when you got hit on the head with the boulder when you were climbing up that cliff? Yeah, it was, was probably, around the same it was probably time? around the same time because you were still home. I bet you it was. Six months later, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, so we, that was a repelling accident. Yeah. And like Luke said, our dad was um, yeah, rock climbing, mountaineer kind of instructor guy. And so at that, that time, we went over to, I want to say it was Denman or something like that, another Denman. island. Yeah. And you could, you could rappel off the side of it. and You'd rappel all the way down um, into a Zodiac that would get you in the ocean. You'd rappel down there. And I think Luke was driving the Zodiac at the time because you were also a lifeguard um, at that time. And so my, a couple of people had already gone. And then I started going over there. I had a helmet on. And as I was going down, there's this one part where you kind of have to like jump out a little bit, let a bunch of rope out, then you swing underneath this overhang. And as I went down, there was this kind of loose slab that was there. Oh, I didn't know it was loose. No, that's right. But there was a slab that was there. And I think, because we don't actually know, but I think what happened is that when I let a bunch of rope out and then went to swing underneath, my rope, I think, went into the crack where that slab was. And then when the rope came tight with all my weight, it it jarred that big slab loose. And yeah. then that thing came down. And someone yelled rock. I remember someone yelled rock just as it was coming down. And so I was, I think I was about to look up and I got my head perfectly straight and boom, right on the, on the, on the head. And then, um, it kind of bounced off to the side. Well, I watched the whole thing. Like, right. and it, we had like, you know, dad had confirmed we'd done this route tons of times yeah. and, uh, this slab that ended up coming loose, you know, we jumped on it and cleaned it yep. make sure it was all good. And it was, it came loose with, without any, mm -hmm. any warning. And I watched that thing come off land on your head and like i remember your body like compressing in your harness yeah. and like balanced right in the center of your head and then off to the side it wasn't yeah. like a glancing shot yeah and, and it's it not was, like a rock that was like this like it was no. a, a legit slab it was i i want to feel like it was like a couple you know two and a half feet long and like yeah. 10 inches thick like it yeah. was a it was a big big <laughs> yeah piece and it knocked the window to me like i don't know if anyone yeah. else has ever had the knock wind knocked out of you by getting hit in the head but because like Luke said, it compressed my body into my harness. And so I thought like my neck's broken. Like I'm like, I, cause everything just kind of went limp. And I remember hanging there on this <laughs> rope and I'm like, I think my neck's broken. And yeah. then, you but know, you didn't pass out. I didn't pass out. No. no. Cause I had the helmet on. So there wasn't anything like that, you know? And then I was really it wasn't impressed. like a hard impact. Yeah. It just kind of, it didn't fall too far, but then the weight of it just crushed them. And yeah. I guess the rope's going to, yes. Has some, yeah. yeah. And then luckily it missed the Zodiac down there because yeah. that would have ended you. Sunk the boat for sure. And then I think, and I was actually, the thing I was impressed with was how professional even dad and everyone was like they went because they had the medical training as well. Dad was also fully medically 
I don't paramedic. know, paramedic. And so they put me on the spine board thing over to the hospital. And so that was a stressful time for your parents. Yeah. yeah. Head injury, yeah. face yeah. injury. Yeah. 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 It was, a, it was a rough go. Yeah. But nothing broken. I had, a, I think I had maybe a cracked vertebrae or compressed vertebrae, a few things. All their x rays came back. And, yep. But I had to take it easy for, I think, three months or something like that. I wasn't supposed to yep. do stuff. Yeah, so then, uh, like I said, we kind of pursued music. That was kind of the direction I was thinking to go to become a professional musician, a guitar player. Um, so my kind of hope after high school, after some traveling, was then to go to Grant McEwen in Edmonton. And I was a tradesman kind of during that time as far as my my work. And uh, Dustin ended up living on the island there for better part of a year. We became good friends through that. And then... Uh, What's your recollection of how that transpired beyond then? I was doing odd jobs on the island and you uh, offered me an opportunity to come work with Michelle. And I think that lasted maybe like, it wasn't long. Like we're talking less than a few weeks, I think. Hmm. And then at some point you had this opportunity to go do framing in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. With some connection that you family had. Family contact or something, yeah. And the, you posed the question, hey, you want to go learn framing in Edmonton? Okay. And Because I, I had no plan. So you'd never framed or done any of that stuff before? No. Okay. No. We loaded all our stuff into his red Tercel. Yep. What year was it? Oh, geez, I don't know. In, I want to say 85. An 85 Tercel? I think so. And the plunger, yeah, <laughs> a little red Tercel. It was in pretty good shape. It was awesome. Four speed standard we, hatchback. We packed that thing, yeah. and we stopped off at my parents had just moved, so all my stuff was conveniently in the garage, and loaded up, and just went for it. Yeah, yeah. Northern we, Alberta. We ended up working for a guy named named Jules, and uh, another Frenchman. Yep, and. For the most part, he did work in more northern Alberta. Yeah. He's based in Edmonton. And so we basically end up getting a suite. And then we would go for, what, two weeks at a time, two, three weeks at a time? Yep. And you just work every day. And we worked on a hotel, a couple hotels in high level. The Flamingo. <clears throat> and uh, there was another name. I can't remember. They're named after, like, hotels in Vegas. Yeah. And then... <laughs> the least Vegas-like places. Yeah. <laughs> So we the first job was in high level, and it's how many hours drive is that from Edmonton? I want to say eight. Wasn't it eight hours north of Edmonton? It was it's a long drive. There. And in the little Tercel, that's only four gear. Yeah, Tercel, we'd we'd get hauling, and we didn't want to stop. And so Luke and I would switch drivers <laughs> while we're driving on the highway, and keep that sucker in fourth gear downhills and we had that thing wound up the yeah. whole way. <laughs> but we got up there. It was the first week of work for me. Never had done framing before. And I forgot my work boots because I had gone out and Luke was like, you need to buy these tools, whatever. So it was all buying the new stuff and forgot my boots. And we get up there and we're unloading stuff. And I'm like, Luke, I don't got, I don't got my boots. And so up there, classic Canadian small town, you go, there's no Walmart then. There wasn't even a Kmart or a Zellers. It was just a Fields. Yep. 
And so went into fields and they only have a few shoes. And so I bought these bright red Velcro shoes and I just wore these and they were pretty comfy. As work boots. As work boots. Little red Velcro yeah. shoes. <laughs> I think due to the, the locations we were building in and like, you know, my childhood and younger years building on the island, like safety and safety equipment was like last thing on anybody's mind. Like we were running shoes. There was no one even owned a harness or a rope. Like, and we were working and up North in the summer it's hot. Like, I don't, I don't know. High mid mm thirties and bugs. Yeah. I remember you guys telling me stories about the bugs up there. Massive. Yeah. I don't even remember what they were. Very bugs. But we would try shooting them on the, with the nail gun. That's the story. But yep. we also wouldn't, like speaking of protective gear, we wouldn't even wear much for clothes. It was just like shorts oh, yeah. and get those shorts as short as you can make them. Yeah. Be in style today. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, yeah. so when you're walking around with your work belt on, you look like you're naked from certain angles. Yeah. <laughs> you're just, we were bareback all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. And just brown, dark brown from all the sun. Yeah. yeah. And because we're so far north, it was only dark from what, like 1130 to four in the morning or something like it. Yeah. It was light so long. So you'd work like 16 hour days. Yep. You go have dinner and go back to work and keep going. Yep. Um, yeah. And it was, what, what were you getting paid? Oh, that's a good question. I don't even remember. It was, it was, I want to say like 15 bucks an hour, maybe. I, yeah, I, I was going to guess less than that. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good for what? 25 years ago. Yeah, it was it was in the mid to low teens, I think. But it was an adventure. It, it was, was like, so fun. High level <clears throat> is not that far from the Northwest Territories. Like you're you're almost at the border. Sure. And we also did work in Grand Prairie. We worked on a fire hall, and yeah, you know, it was lots of high. Like you were up multiple floors, and we'd walk those walls without any, you know, no like, planks, no fall protection, no nothing. fall protection at all. How high up? Oh man, it it would be twenty feet was twenty ish feet was just normal. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then sometimes you'd be even higher. And yeah, no no fall protection. Yeah, and you're walking walking exterior walls and pulling string lines out to straighten stuff and and uh, or like nailing ridge blocks on the top of trusses because mm -hmm. we had we would crane them up at that at that job and we we're doing one at a time. And so I was sitting up on the ridge with ridge blocks. Mm -hmm. With, with toenails started in them mm -hmm. and the crane would come and two guys standing on the walls, we'd land it, you'd nail a ridge block and we'd work our way along these big structures. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm probably 25 feet off the floor mm -hmm. and sometimes you're just standing on the slope of the truss and working. So it just, it was the, it was commonplace. I remember actually yeah, sitting on the ridge and then you'd reach your leg out and hook the truss and then you'd yeah. nail, you'd hold it together. Totally. Like all that sort of stuff that, you know, in bigger centers like that would still have not been kosher at the time. But yeah. for us, it's like this is this is normal. This is getting the job done, and you you yeah. got to be you have good balance, and you got to be good at swinging a hammer. Mm. Um, I loved it. Like there was that that side, of, like you're outside, you're working hard, you're yeah. sleeping good because you're exhausted, you're swinging a hammer. We've got nailers and all that stuff, obviously, and we used them for all of our walls. But any roof work was basically always handset handset nails. Yep. Do you remember what you were swinging back then? Yeah, my. Well, let's see, my favorite, my first hammers, I think that was my my heart, 25-ounce wooden-handled, axe-handled 
framing yeah. hammer that I had. Yeah. Because actually, there was a guy that I worked with on Thetis Island who had a heart uh, hammer. He's like, these are the best hammers. U.S. made steel head. Yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. So I got myself one. And I swung that for a few years until I snapped the handle on it. And then I got a heart woody was the, mm -hmm. the new version, which I had when I was working at Edmonton, which was a beautiful thing. You can't even find them anymore. There's a few pictures online I found. But yeah, that was a 25-ounce mm -hmm. um, yeah, steelhead wooden axe handle hammer. What about you, Dust? Um, I think probably my first <clears throat> hammer was an S-wing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but then I ended up getting a wood-handled one. Like the Estwing blue handled, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. classic, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Later on, that was when I always recommended to my new employees that it was a twenty-one ounce blue, yeah, uh, Vaughn, yeah. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Actually, that just triggered it. I think I had that was my first wood handled Vaughn made a wood handled yeah. framing hammer. Yeah, they had a few of them. Yeah, it was the lighter one. There was the the twenty-one ounce that had a blue handle, and then there was like a twenty-four ounce. I had a, a natural handle i think yeah. the, the wooden handle ones I, I they looked badass but it didn't sound as nice as the s-wing when you put it in the shink it was just like the yeah. like the samurai clatter and you know so yeah. i was that was always the nicest but what about that, what about yeah. tool belts i was curious do you guys remember what belts you had first belts a, well um i i don't remember what the first belt i had was but i remember jules's trailer got broken into hmm. and so he bought me a belt and I still have it. And mm. it's a uh, uh, leather Coonies, like brown leather belt. Mm -hmm. Still use that around the house. Yeah. It's way too big for the little house stuff. You just won't get the Acrobus belt. You just won't do it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, and I probably had a, a Coonies, yeah. um, Coonies leather belt. I mean, I don't, I don't really remember, to be honest. It was something no. cheap and functional. But they were, for the most part, we... All the carpenters I knew, they wore their belts front worn with a tape pocket in the front. That was yeah. the most common. There was a yeah. few that were wearing, we called them backwards. The I remember the your belt being black for some reason. Well, I had my my Cadillac, Viking oh, yeah. leather, leather yeah. uh, Cadillac tool belt, which were actually turned out they're made about an hour and a half away from here. Um, I used that one for, for a lot of years. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was my first belt, I think, that I actually bought was a, was a Cadillac because I think you were like... And I think you, you we could. I think I bought it here at yeah Timbermart. I think yeah. And usually it's a modular, yeah. a modular one it had looped bags yeah. versus the one that was all stitched together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, the high level framing, building apartments and bigger structures. And then uh, I headed off eventually to go and pursue music. And you kept working, and I did uh, about a semester and a half of jazz guitar. I was taking at Grant McEwen. And we were living together, and then uh, you got in a gnarly, gnarly car accident in the winter. And uh, so he ended up moving out and, and kind of rehab and get yourself back together. And then uh, I ran into financial trouble with you having moved out and also being from out of province and insurance issues with, um, I remember they had brought in some kind of new insurance for younger drivers, because I was like 20 or something. And my insurance like doubled and uh, I ended up having to drop out of school. And I also remember I had a bursary for school, and which ended up counting as income and taxes, and I ended up owing tax money. I just got All shafted. because this moron gets in a <laughs> dumb fender bender. Jeez. Yeah, so it was like a, this trifecta of a few different details that came together. And I'm like, I can't carry on with music. I got to go back to, to framing. 
and um and then I end up getting on with Jules's I think it was his brother-in-law or something with Odin. Yeah, I don't remember. I think that that was their relation. He was another Frenchman. Yeah. For some reason. What's the deal with the Frenchman? I don't know. I don't know. But he uh, he built the nice thing about him is he he worked in Edmonton. He doesn't do out of town stuff. And they did wood frame apartments. So we did up to four and a half, five story wood frame apartments. Um, and so I did that for about three and a half years or so with them. And it was through that three and a half years that they actually started implementing some safety stuff. Because at first we were doing these, you know, four and a half story wood frame apartments. And again, you're still walking exterior walls, you know, you're 40, 50 feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first job that we kind of got like, oh, we had to start putting up some railings and we kind of developed the system to put railings up um, just for when you're at the exteriors. But you're still walking interior walls everywhere and climbing around on the roof. And and I was, I kind of ended up in the position of a production framer. Um, basically, I wanted to build walls as fast as possible. So you'd, you'd have, you know, a, a layout guy, remember Steve was the mm-hmm. main link I, I worked under. Uh, so you have Steve was laying out. There was usually one or two guys cutting and then about four or five guys framing. And we just chase each other. So you'd come into a suite where all the plates are cut, cripples and headers, all the pieces are there. There'd usually be a lift of studs sitting on the deck on the outside because we'd pre-built all that stuff. And then you'd have a box of hand spikes and your nailer and you'd just blast through suites. So you try and get two or three suites done a day and you just plow through nails. So that was, that was like, Edmonton? Yeah. Was that... So were you working with them when I moved to Edmonton? Is Steve the same the guy yeah. who hates stupid people? Yeah. That's him? Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you had gotten married by this time as well. And I actually worked with <clears throat> them back when Matt was working with them. Oh, I right. remember I worked for a little while and we were doing some apartments. Yeah. And yeah, that's where I shot myself in the hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And now your wife works here. Works here. Pretty sweet. She's the, what is her official title? She's the manager. Um, production. Production. Uh, manager. Yep. Yep. Amazing yep. lady. Yeah. Pretty awesome. So I knew both, both you guys before you guys got married. And then, yeah, spent, we lived across, we built each other's houses. Yeah. And that was in early 2000s. Yeah. Early, yeah. Like 2006-ish or something. Yep. Um. So yeah, and going back to the Edmonton days, that was where I kind of got a taste of like the full-on production framing. Um, and I definitely looked forward to at some point having my own operation. And I I looked at all my employers as like, you know, what aspects of how they build do I want to, you know, borrow or adopt myself someday? And what aspects do I want to avoid? What characteristics do I, I not want to employ? And how do I want to deal with employees and all that. So I was, I was somewhat um, quite deliberate, intentional to really observe and watch how they built. So like Steve, who was, there was two separate crews that worked under Odin and Steve's crew was the crew that like just left everybody else in the dust. They were super fast. So that was the, that was kind of the crew that was the most desired to be on. If you want to be a part of the, the high production guys. And I loved working with them, but I also irritated Steve because I, I always like, how are you doing that? How are you laying out stairs? How are you figuring out the roof? How are you cutting that? How was it? And he'd eventually be like, okay, I'm going to send you over to Mark's crew because you're starting to piss me off. <laughs> so, yeah. so there was times where, you know, I'd be, I'd be working away and I'd start to get on his nerves a bit. And I remember one, at one point he's like, okay, I need a break from you. 
um, we got three floors worth of bracing need to be pulled off in this apartment <laughs> building. The apartments aren't small. And I think I was a day and a half, two days of pulling braces. And it was, it, it, it accumulated, it was probably a, would accumulate to about two full lifts of 14 foot two by four uh, worth of bracing that I had to pull off. And that was where I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull braces. I can kind of turn my brain off, but I'm going to do this fast. I'm going to mm -hmm. figure out how to pull nails in a hurry. And, and that's where that whole flip with the kicker that I've, <laughs> yeah. I've done on my social media, that's where that came from. I'm doing that, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. Where I still like, can't get, do it very well. <laughs> get quick with the tools and, and find ways to make it, make it fun and be efficient with it. So, um, I definitely was like at that point really starting to pay attention to like, how can I do my job well and efficiently and quickly? What can you do to make things easier and faster? And, and that was Steve's approach to the job it was like, how do we chase each other around the site? So they weren't a crew, for instance, that, you know, you go over there, lay out frame, do your own thing. You know, I'll work over here. We'll meet in the middle. It was like, no, no, one guy's going to lay out. Two guys are going to cut parts. Three or four guys are going to frame. And we are just going to chase each other around this, this, uh, this building. Kind of where the efficient by design, that's kind of where it started. Yep. The efficient part, just kind of watching all that happen. And then yeah, that seems to have always been something that's, that's kind of followed you. Is that just, how can I do this the best way possible, the quickest way possible, the straightest way that efficient part has just always been such a staple. It seems like. For sure. And it's, it's, it's also been something like a big part of my past and present for that matter is, uh, the whole reality of imposter syndrome, you know, that, that feeling that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as legitimate as I could be or should be. I'm not what people think I might be. And I need to try and always earn that mm -hmm. and try and like actually measure up to this ideal. That's kind of this, 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 uh, carrot hangout in front of you. And, and that's something that, that always drove me to be like, I want to do better so that I can actually earn my keep mm -hmm. and and represent myself well and to this day i still feel like i'm a, a fraud you know and and there's areas that are i think are legitimate <laughs> i feel that oh, way of course so <laughs> many areas <laughs> um and at the same time you try you also want to be develop self-confidence and yeah. and um become intentional and assertive and confident so it's it's quite the journey but that was a huge push i think for that whole efficiency side is like how can i be a good steward of the things i have influence over and do the best that I can in the here and the now. And I think I've always tried to do the best that I could do, but now looking back, I'm like, that, that should have been way better. But mm. at the time it was the best I could do. Um, what are the, what would you say are the two sides of that efficient part, positive and negative? I think the positive is pretty obvious in that, you know, like I've always thought of, you know, a funny definition of efficiency is being a smart, lazy person. You know, it's like, well, can I, how can I make this happen quickly with the least amount of effort? How can I do a good job and not have it be hard? Mm. So I think that's, that's a benefit. Uh, you know, the, the positive side, I think is really easy to quantify the negative side, um, that I think I demonstrated and had to process and work through is how hard I was on myself and the people around me. Mm. Um, so later on, you know, running crews and, and stuff. I definitely came to a place where it was brought to my attention by someone I really respected to be like, Hey, just so you know, you got great employees and good company and great reputation, but your guys have no confidence. Everyone's scared of you. And you know, the fact that you've got to make all the decisions all the time and control everything is maybe not in your best interest. Um, 
And so that was a huge, huge shift. So I think that that push for efficiency could come at the cost of my own um, my own self-respect and at the risk of um, steamrolling the people around me. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a complex complex thing. It's definitely bittersweet. And then I had to you know take some learn some hard lessons about how do I build into the people around me and give them confidence and actually step away, allow them to make some mistakes that are going to cost me. But in the end of the day, it's going to be better for them and better for me as they gain confidence and take some of the responsibility off of my plate. And then I can then show up as a support for them versus showing up and taking over mm. and dictating everything. Yeah. Um, so then we ended up getting back together. When, how did that go? Cause I was framing in Edmonton, Brad and two other buddies, we lived together for a while and then we all kind of wrapped up in Edmonton and I ended up then uh, moving to the Okanagan where we live now, uh, probably just make a change, get out of Edmonton, pursue who'd become my wife. And then at that time, where were you at? I was in um, Silver Creek near Salmon Arm in a trailer working at Sperlick Log Construction and got laid off and we had nothing and we were mooching off parents over Christmas and you called and I remember I was walking through the parking lot after watching Lord of the Rings and you were like hey you want to come work in Peachland framing I'm working for a guy Norm and it'll pay you 18 bucks an hour and I was like what is this wealth that you speak of <laughs> and in the uh, Okanagan. Yeah. And so, uh, we came, checked it out. Actually, no, I think I just came cause I had no work. So we just started working and lived with you at your parents' place. And we were just working together. You lived with Luke, with Luke. at mom and dad's. Yep. While and, my wife, yeah. who was pregnant with our second mm -hmm. and a little boy toddler, um, in a trailer. And so I'm trying to get this work and she's just hoping that something can work out. Yeah. And, um, Jerry and Aggie said, Hey, you guys can stay in our place. Cause we had nowhere to live. And they were going on a cruise for like six weeks. So we were able to move in there and nobody knew us except for Dell and, and Luke. And, you weren't here there. I wasn't. No, I was in New Zealand. Yep. Right. Yep. And so people just came out and helped. That's when Jason Sells came out and Aaron, they didn't know us, but he brought his trailer and helped us move. And we lived at Jerry Nagy's place for a while. And we were just working in Peachland building that series of condos. Yeah, there were four plexes. Four plexes, yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, that was the last kind of project independent, or that we were employed by somebody else before we stepped into what was the the big shift for us to Acrobus Construction. Yeah, because that project was coming to a close, and we were all going, "What's next?" Yeah, and Norm was like, yeah. "Hey, next job's probably in Kamloops." Yeah, and because I had kids by that time, our daughter was born. Yeah, so kids, I'm not. I don't want to work in Kamloops yeah. and leave my family. Yeah. 
Before you jump into that next segment, I just feel like we skipped over the Justin, Nathan, you and me, yep. and Dustin, all of us living in, in Edmonton together yep. for that one year. Yep. Not that there was so much construction stuff there, mm-hmm. you know, but that was kind of the first time for myself and for you that we kind of like, it was Luke and me brothers and then two other brothers, Justin and Nathan, we all lived in this little basement apartment <clears throat> in Edmonton. And at the time I was working at Julio's Barrio yep. and Starbucks and doing that thing. Yeah, and, and Nathan was working with me yep. for ONJ Framing and Justin was working at a cabinet shop. Yes. Yeah, so we yeah, just off of White Ave yep. in Edmonton, which is a super, super fun little area. Yeah, in the basement suite there. there was some, that was a good, that was a really good year. Yeah. That was a lot yeah, it's one of those, one, it was a good year, but there was like hard, like when you're young, you know, you're like in your early 20s, you know, and you're trying to figure out, you know, how to, again, that's the the birth of like cooking for yourself. And I remember yeah. we, we'd take turns cooking for making dinner and yeah. and uh, some of the famous meals that Luke made were just yeah. epic. He would try to make some casserole. There was one. There's just there's the one time I blew it. And that's the, uh, so all I can remember of all your cooking. It, it comes down to that one awful meal. Yeah, it was it was bad. Yeah, it, it was, was bad. bad. He was trying to like thicken up the sauce for some porridgey soup mixture mess and he ended up just using a bunch of flour like, and it turned into this it, like yeah. pasty like play-doh-y uh, something or other that we we choked choked down we were really 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 full after we were really full after that like yeah. and then we would go to the kinsman sports center for all you edmontonians yeah. and we would just like can you was... still go off the high dive there can you go there and actually go off the 10 meter platform i don't see why not is that that might be in some the... places they don't let you anymore so dumb yeah, it is really unfortunate. Oh, yes. But that was guy. that was super, super fun. Yeah, we'd go there and then we would, <laughs> I remember going into the change rooms after that and this one, we're like, oh you know, again, we're all in like our early 20s and we've just spent the evening, like there's, you know, none of us had girlfriends, I don't think at the time. Anyway, we're in there, we're showering off afterwards and I don't know who it was, but Justin, Nathan, you or me, one of us all of a sudden comes sliding out from the, and it's like this big open shower things where it's just whatever. And some naked guy just goes sliding across the floor, just squealing like a little girl. It's covered in, lathered up in soap suds. And then before you know it, here's three like men completely naked, all soaked up. See how far we could slide around in the tile. And yeah. Yeah, I wasn't there for that. You weren't there yeah. for that one. No, I. No. You would have been all over that. It, I ended up getting a huge, massive bruise across my leg. Uh, yeah, because you, yeah, there's the, like this long corridor that we're like basically like slip and slide on the tile. Yeah. And you came trucking out of the change room and and picked your line poorly yes. and got sliding and couldn't stop and went right into the corner yeah. of the, tile. or went to the shower room or something. Yeah. You just nailed Hard your Hard concrete yeah. tile and just collected it with my, yeah, that was good. Anyway, yeah. I know that's a little bit of a jump back. We'll but you guys are then, so now Kamloops, that's not an option. You guys... Is that when Dave and Sears and all that stuff happened? Not, uh, yeah, eventually. I think, and I think let's um, this next phase because this is like the start of Acrobus. I think we'll uh, shift into that for episode two. Oh, yes. Let's maybe uh, wrap this one up at that point because that kind of lays out the kind of childhood interest years and us getting to know each other and the history of construction before we kind of set off on our own. Um, yeah, that's a decent place to to wrap it up. Yeah. Well yep. Super. Um, okay. Well, that kind of concludes our episode number one. Thanks to the guys behind the camera for helping out here. And uh, for you guys 
for uh, taking part in the discussion and I hope that's of interest. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.